Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat episode, we're going to hear from Paul Esters, an unstoppable advocate for the talent economy who's dedicated to creating opportunities for everyone, reskilling by doing and bringing diversity to our work. For 20 years, Paul struggled to balance his home life with fast-moving leadership roles at Dell, Amazon, and Microsoft, where he led a team of progressive HR procurement and legal trailblazers to launch Microsoft's gig economy freelance program. Hiring his first virtual assistant transformed the way Paul lived and worked. And he's now the editor-in-chief of staffing.com by TopTal a destination dedicated to driving a conversation through expert-driven content and thought leadership. Staffing.com is a centralized force for understanding the dynamic future within the rise of remote work, the expansion of the freelance economy, and the future of staffing. Paul is the former host of the Gig Mindset podcast and current host of the Talent Economy podcast, which is the official podcast of Staffing.com. Uh, Paul, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show today. Bill, I'm really glad we were able to make this work. Man, I always get a bit nervous when I uh, when I interview other people who do podcasts or a lot of webinars and whatnot, because, you know, here's me just muddling through. Well, we recorded like 200 episodes of the HR Chat Show so far, but I still feel a little bit like a novice. Um, and then I chat to a luminary like yourself, sir. And I'm like, oh, oh gosh, I'm going to put on a good show for him today. Um, okay, let's get straight in then. So, uh, firstly, you're the author of the the book, the the gig mindset, and and uh, you're the host of uh, uh, the, the podcast there at uh, staffing.com. What what do you think the COVID crisis means for for the gig economy? Is it actually an opportunity, Paul? Yeah. Before I before I answer that question, let me just give you sort of how you know the gig mindset and and what started that project and then what the talent economy is there's just a core belief that i have that focusing on the distribution of opportunity the idea that there is a world full of people that have amazing talents no matter where they live or where they came from that that diversity uh, is important and i experienced it when i hired my first freelancer which we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll talk about uh, later and it really transformed the way I look at engaging talent more broadly. As, as I think of the talent economy, you know, more and more we're seeing that talent has a choice. You know, there are a lot of people who are experts in their field and a lot of companies that want to hire them. And there's a mismatch. That talent is saying, hey, I'm not going to pick up and move to your location, right? I'm going to, I, for whatever reason, I'm going to stay where I am because there are a bunch of companies that are willing. Uh, to work remotely or work in a flexible manner and, and technology enables that. And so I wanted to give that background because when I look at, you know, what's happened to COVID, I, I think there's two sides of uh, the gig economy. I think there's the, the business to consumer side, um, which in a lot of ways has become essential to helping us navigate this pandemic, you know, whether it's um, the food services or the delivery services. I mean, I know, and, you know, I live here in Seattle and, you know, the Amazon trucks and the food service trucks and the grocery delivery to uh, some of the elderly people in my neighborhood, um, they're at the front lines. And so I think in, in many ways, uh, the gig economy has, has proven 
to be very uh, important as, as we navigate this. And I think the workers uh, in many ways, and I don't think I'm overstating this, are, are heroes in, in keeping our system going and keeping people safe and, and putting themselves at peril. And, and I think there's been a lot of pressure to figure out how do we best take care of those workers. And I think it's spawning a really productive conversation um, because there are struggles and hardships in that sector. When I look at the business to business side, um, you know, I really think that as a world, we've all been trained on remote work. And so one, two, there were two very specific challenges that organizations would say when they said, oh, well, you know, I, I can't work with freelancers in my organization. One was, well, all work has to be done here. And I think largely that's been debunked. I think there are a lot of places where on-site work is necessary. I'm, I'm not being binary, I think, but I think there's a lot of jobs that can be done remotely. And so I think that in a large way, we've all gone to school and been educated and reskilled ourselves uh, to working remotely. The second challenge that we're going to face um, is how to go outside of our organizational boundaries. You know, think of that org chart. <laughs> how do I reach outside of that org chart? And, and really believe and, and lean into the idea that there are experts around the world who can provide value to my organization. And not only that, help reskill, you know, the employees that I have. And so when you ask, you know, is there an opportunity? I think there's a significant opportunity um, for organizations to really rethink this moment and what they've learned about the power of flexible and remote work and, and opportunities that that can provide. Okay, thank you. Uh, I, I just want to pick your brains a bit more on something you mentioned there. Um, as someone who's worked remotely for many, many years, uh, I'd, I'd love to to get your thoughts on what are what are some of those key skills in, in, in terms of being able to effectively work remotely? I mean, self-discipline is, is probably key, right? Um, but I don't know, uh, should you be okay with um, remote monitoring of when you log on and off? Is that, is that so passe now because it's 2020? Give us, give us some ideas about what those key skills are and, and the mentality needed to, to be a, a good remote worker. Yeah, I actually wrote an article on staffing.com about, about the trust uh, needed in remote work. Let me just quickly talk about two angles. There's one as a remote worker. You know, I spent 20 years um, – in captive employment on location, right? I'd get in my car, drive nine to five, I'd drive in traffic back. And, you know, when I made the change, there was both good and bad. And, and for me personally, the good well outweighed um, the bad. You know, the current pandemic is not remote work. It's people working at home during a pandemic. And so I think some people get that confused, but we are learning a lot of skills. And so when I transitioned, I think there were, three things that were important. One, I, I had to be more proactive, right? I had to be a self-starter and all those things that, that you, you know, when you answer those interview questions, because you become more uh, empowered to do the work, but you also need to lean in more, right? You need to engage people. You need to be proactive. And so that was something that I think is a little different than when you sit through meetings all day and you can engage in those meetings and somebody else manages your, your time. The second is you need to write everything down. You know, when you start working on tools like Slack, whether it's um, synchronous or asynchronous, right? Whether it's real time or, or not, you need to write things down. And I found that the remote world is much more collaborative, but it's, you know, you write things down and you may be working around the clock with people around the world. And that was something that we were able to do on location 
whether it's the water cooler or not, or meetings. I, I think the, the third thing is transparency. I think there's a step when you move into remote work where you have to be open to being transparent. And I'll give you an example. Um, before I left big tech, I opened up my calendar to everyone. So if you wanted to see what was on my calendar, you can simply go in there and, and take a look. If there was a meeting that you think you should attend or may, maybe, hey, you're going to this meeting, can you you know, let people know? Or if I had to take care of my kids or leave for a doctor, it was all there and very transparent. That was something almost radical <laughs> inside the group. And so I, I think that there's a level of transparency of putting information out there um, where I think a lot of people feel judged. You know, if they have to take a half a day off to, to maybe see their children or, hey, just need a mental break. Hey, I'm going for, like we were talking about before we got on the show, I'm going for a run. And, and you might feel that you're being judged. And so it took me a little while to get used to that kind of uh, transparency. And so I think that's important. The, the other thing is managers. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on managers as they go from supervisory roles where they walk into an office and they supervise people and um, hold court and meetings and stuff like that to really running a network of people who are working virtually. And it takes a completely different mindset. And it, in a lot of ways, you go from trying to control and keep things captive to really empowering um, and, and letting that sort of space create opportunity. Man, you're you're a mind reader because I, I was just about to get to get, get to that point. Uh, so, from, from from what from what I've read about you, hiring your first virtual assistant transformed your life. I'd, I'd love now for you to tell me a bit about that, uh, but and also share with you what you think that the current crisis has, has taught us about how how leaders, as you're just speaking about there, and, and also because this is a, a show geared uh, towards HR people, how, how HR pros can 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 work with remote teams, and also are, are in-person relationships really that important to get the job done? Yeah, well, it's a lot to, a lot to unpack there, but you know, first <laughs> let me tell you that the story that really opened my eyes. I have a friend that's an entrepreneur, and he, uh, you know, I was. A chief of staff at the time, which is a highly stressful job, and it was a Saturday, and I was been working on a, a deck that was going to the executive team with along with a bunch of people, and I reached out for a virtual assistant uh, to help me find something to do with my family. I hadn't spent family time; things were out of whack, and and my friend had said, "Hey, you should get a virtual assistant." And and that person in in an hour found an event that was right by my house that I wouldn't have found otherwise and it was sort of like that first moment when you you know picked up your iphone right or, or used uber for the first time where you knew things were going to be different and i started reaching out more and more to freelancers and you know not only in the way that i live but but started reaching out to them in the way that i work and what i found is that i was reskilling myself like you have to fundamentally change the way you work to be able to reach out to somebody who doesn't have context, who might be around the world, who has a specific expertise that can help you. And so I got really excited about this because it would support my ability to do things that were on my list or on, on a dream list that I would um, never get to. One was writing a book. And the, and the interesting thing about um, the book is I talk about how the book was created using the gig mindset within the book. And so I think it's an interesting I think I have a lot of people who have bought the book 
um, saying, hey, I've always wanted to do a book. How did you find time to do a book? I'm like, it's in the book. How did you write the book? Well, it's in, it's in the book. And so, you know, I, I tried to be as authentic about my journey um, as possible. I think the other thing you asked is, are in-person relationships important? Of course they are, 100%. But I don't buy that the idea that my boss is the best person to pick the people I hang out with. You know, I think that there is some professional camaraderie. I've, I've worked in many places and I have many good friends where I had shared experiences uh, in, in my various jobs. But I also have a life outside of that work. Uh, and I also work with freelancers on all sorts of side projects and projects. And so I, I don't think that that the office represents all of my personal relationships. And I think when, when people ask that question, it sort of comes from that point of, well, if you work from home, then you're never going to see anyone. And I, I have to tell you that when I started working from home, I interacted as much, if not more, um, with people because I wasn't stuck in the same meetings with the same 10 people. And so I had more personal and more diverse interactions. Uh, you asked, you know, how HR leaders can think about this. I think HR is in a very unique and powerful position right now. I th and I think there's sort of two paths you can go down. I think that HR can continue to support and drive policies and compliance and those sorts of things. And, and it's a very important part of the human resources role. But they also have an opportunity to look at talent from a total perspective, right? One of the things in the current structure says that HR manages the full-time employees and works to make policies and stuff to make that an enjoyable experience, but also protect the company. And procurement will work with contingent labor and they will procure human capital. And I think there's an opportunity for the HR team and even the procurement team to reach across the proverbial aisle and say, hey, how do we think of human capital in its totality and how does that provide value to the business? And I think um, that's the opportunity that HR leaders have in, in front of them. Okay. So for, for those leaders and HR pros who are looking to, to hire freelancers over, over the remainder of, of this year, uh, can you maybe offer some tips now to, to ensure that they, they hire the right people? So um, let's, let's maybe share your, your tide framework. And as part of that, perhaps you could also suggest a few flags to watch out for. Yeah, I think the, the first thing I would say is understand why, you know, really, you know, if you're an HR professional and you're working on a talent strategy with a business, really understand their why. I think in, a, in my experience, a lot of times HR will come in and then we'll start just shuffling the deck chairs. Like, here's the people we have. How do we shuffle the deck chairs? And the why is, hey, either we need to do some reduction or the business has changed. And, and then it's, well, how do we take what we have and then reposition it? I think the the thing that you really need to dig into is what are you trying to accomplish? And then if you're an HR professional, you say, okay, this is what the business is trying to accomplish. Do we have the right experts to do that work? And when you do that and you have a total talent strategy that says, okay, now let's go look at all the various options that we have to engage talent. You're really now focused on the work and the outcome, not moving the, the, you know, the deck chairs around per se. And so one of the things that I tried to do in the book was really highlight examples 
of where GE or uh, NASA and, and some other companies have really used freelancers and crowd strategies to accomplish really hard problems. And, and to do so, as I was teaching this, had a framework. Um, and there were four parts to it. The first was to be able to taskify the work. You know, as, as you look at different projects, and even when I look at a project, I break it down to its parts and say, hey, how do I engage the experts for each of these parts? What are the things that I should do myself? What are the things my team should do? And where can we bring in some expert freelancers on a project basis to help us out? The second is identify, right? It's identifying those experts. Once you have the tasks, you say, hey, you know, these are the types of people that can really make this project move faster, provide better outcomes, whether it's to my customers or whoever. Um, and the hardest part that I spent a lot of time on in the book um, is delegation. You know, the hardest part for me as I started using freelancers was how, when I'm responsible for something, you know, to my boss, to my company, you know, to my family, how do I delegate something to someone and then give up control, right? What is that process? How do I communicate in a way and build a network of freelancers that enables me to have some trust that the outcome will come back on time and with high quality. And I found that one, it takes a lot of reskilling on my part, right? Or the person's part who's delegating the work. And then two, it's building that durable network of people, just like you do on LinkedIn, or just like you do in your office, or just like you do in your professional, you know, the societies or any other group that you happen to be a part of, it takes time to build that network. And then that delegation becomes more durable. The last part, and I think it goes to the current situation is evolve right? To take every opportunity and lean into it and say, what did I learn? It's very easy to go and judge and say, oh, well, that was bad. And, you know, I'm, this doesn't work. What I found is each exercise I did with a freelancer, and I've done thousands now, I stepped back and I learned, I said, what could, have I, what could I have done better? And in that, I found that I was building a system and a network that was was pretty powerful as I thought about all the things that I wanted to do. The, the flags to watch out for are threefold. One is that will never work here. You know, I think I've heard that a, a ton of times. And, you know, in some cases it's true, but in, in the most part, it's people reacting and being defensive in some in, in many cases. I think the the other thing is, you know, that's just not the way we work, you know, and, and you have to really push people to embrace a new way of working. I'll give you an example. There was a, a video editor on my team who'd spent his entire career. He was an amazing video editor on, on one of my teams. Um, and he created this uh, video training product that everybody in the company wanted, right? Lots of people wanted but he couldn't scale. He could only do, I think, six or seven per month. And he was the bottleneck. And so when we hired a freelance team to help him, he had to go through the process of realizing that his role was going to change, that he was going to learn new skills, that the 20 or 30 years that he'd spent video editing, it wasn't that it was invaluable, but it was that he needed to apply those skills and those learnings in a different way. And he scaled you know, I think it was to, to 50 or, or 60 videos per month and, and really came out of that tunnel completely reskilled and, and thinking of a different way of adding value to the company. And so 
I think there's that. The other thing is let people fail. You know, we talk about growth mindset all the time. We talk about learning from failure, but I think it's very rare to find organizations that really support true experimentation and true failure. If it looks different, they want to eradicate it. The organization is built to eradicate things that look different because those things may provide risk. And so I, I think it takes HR professionals who really lean in with teams that want to be innovative and, and provide guidance and, and have transparent conversations as they work to evolve. Otherwise, it becomes this conversation where I'm HR and you're trying to do this and I think you broke a policy. And, and so it, it takes a proactive approach and a partnership with the business. And I think that's the opportunity for HR professionals today. Okay, thank you. We are coming towards the end of this particular interview already, Paul. Can you believe that? Um, <laughs> can't believe it, Paul. Um, before, we, before we do wrap up for today, um, as a fellow podcaster, uh, I'd love to hear from you in 60 seconds or less, uh, a couple of top guests that you've had on your show, uh, the, the, the Talent Economy podcast, and why they stood out for you. But I can think of I can think of two groups. One is when I actually interview freelancers that are at the top of their game, whether it's a designer or a engineer. Um, I think those people are inspirational to me. They they've chosen a different path and they're providing value to large companies. And so those podcasts, uh, I have Melissa Morgan and Jordan uh, come to to mind. Um, the other one is when I interview the senior leadership team at TopTile about um, the suddenly remote playbook that they. Uh, released. And it was amazing to me. Uh, and you can see that on staffing.com or toptal.com slash playbook. Um, it was amazing to me how they pulled back the curtain and really let you um, on the inside operations of the world's largest distributed company. And I think anyone who is trying to understand remote work and the power of distributed companies, as well as the challenges, um, can benefit from those conversations. Okay, and just finally for today, Paul, uh, how can how can our listeners learn more about you? And of course, how can they get a copy of your book, The Gig Mindset? Yeah, so it's uh, we're uh, we're on Amazon, uh, best selling book on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and search Gig Mindset, um, you can purchase a copy there. Please leave a review. I I am on LinkedIn. It's the best place to reach out to me if you have a question. I have a newsletter that you can subscribe to with over eighty thousand uh, subscribers and and growing. And also. Check out staffing.com. We have a bunch of great articles targeted to HR professionals, uh, and you can learn more about the Talent Economy podcast there. Fantastic. Well, that just leads me to say for today, Paul, thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Bill, thank you so much for having me. And listeners, until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.